audiences. I am General Arvind Bhatia. I have been told to speak on this very sensitive topic, which is the Armed Forces Special Powers Act, which has uh, been there for quite some time now. We'll talk about it as we go on. Uh, I am a third generation into the Kumau Regiment, joined my dad's uh, unit in June 1984. My dad is a Veer Chakra awardee of 1962 in the Wolong sector and unfortunately we lost him in 1965. Uh, like uh, already said that I have varied experience in the north, essentially in the north with 12 years in JNK and right from the Siachen Glacier down to Riasi and Doda and Kishtwar. Uh, I have served extensively. I commanded my unit uh, for a year uh, along the uh, Amarnath Yatra and then in Kulwama Supia before we went uh, up to the Siachen Glacier for a tour of duty on the Central Glacier and then came down brought the unit down to Delhi. Uh, I have been lucky and fortunate to have served in three foreign assignments. Uh, as a captain I was an instructor in Bhutan uh, in the Indian military training team. Uh, as a colonel I was the deputy commander and chief of staff of the uh, Indian Brigade in Congo. Uh, we were located in Goma. That was in 2009-10. And later, after doing my NDC, I was uh, selected for a uh, diplomatic assignment to Islamabad. I was the uh, military advisor in our uh, high commission in Islamabad. And that happened during the surgical strikes and the Uri attack. And, and then I came back to command uh, a formation in South Kashmir, that is uh, south of Peer Panjal range. And finally, uh, I was posted in uh, headquarter IDS for about two and a half, three years before I superannuated on 1st of October. I am based in Delhi and I, it is my proud privilege to talk to you on this very sensitive subject. Uh, you see, uh, though events have overtaken the uh, sad incident which happened uh, last month in Nagaland, where uh, due to a mistaken identity and judgmental error, uh, the Indian Army, that is 21 Para-SF, opened fire on innocent civilians and we lost some lives. What happened later was even more unfortunate because uh, a mob uh, got together and uh, attacked this uh, party which was led by a young captain, 24-25 years old, uh, I would just narrate the incident which the time was uh, about uh, dusk in the evening, about 1500-1530 and on confirmed intelligence inputs, uh, a roadblock or an ambush was laid to apprehend these uh, terrorists who were supposed to be moving towards Myanmar border and in, the, in that uh, kind of a twilight, uh, there were uh, people in that pickup truck which were mistaken to be terrorists because some of them, uh, one of them had a gun, which was a hunting gun later ascertained. A few of them were holding some uh, instruments which uh, looked like weapons. Uh, one of them was also playing a guitar, I am told. So they were making some noise and merrymaking because uh, the season, festival season and the Hornbill festival was just about to happen. So they must be returning home and they were miners who were working in a local mine coming back and they seemed to have disregarded or not heard the warning which was given to them to stop and then the firing ensued and in that firing those people were uh, shot dead. 
and what happened later was much more unfortunate uh, losing innocent lives especially by your own armed forces is always very very unfortunate uh, but this was definitely a case of mistaken identity the mob which got together and crowded this a small team uh, went berserk they attacked the team with dars and uh, one of the jawans was in fact killed in this attack by the mob and in self defense this team had fired back and then there was certain more avoidable about eight more casualties including the soldier the next day the mob was much more unruly and bigger and they attacked the local assam rifle posts and burnt a few buildings of theirs attacked the coast and then the commanding officer of the assam rifle battalion uh, and the others got together assaulted the mob the crowd and some sense prevailed and then of course the inquiries and all that have started happening and we await uh, the results of that however to uh, without taking into uh, saying that uh, this was something which was uh, truly and truly avoidable and shouldn't have happened but in the course of uh, activity in the course of operations these kind of mistaken identities and judgmental errors do happen no life no indian army soldier would ever want to shed blood of innocent civilians that who their own countrymen and that is the biggest strength of this professional indian army that here is an army which is not bothered about the pay and allowances this army thrives on the respect and the love and affection given to us by our fellow citizens and that is what keeps the morale of the indian army high the indian army also doesn't work that it is got protection or immunity through some special powers so then they can uh, with impunity carry out certain operations without any regard to collateral damage without any regard to uh, hitting uh, a civilian or fratricide or these kind of things the there are a lot of checks and balances which are there in the indian army starting from the cos commandments there are sop standard operating procedures there are do's and don'ts there are cos commandments there are so many things which are told day and day night uh, day in and day out to the civil, uh, soldiers and the teams which go and operate in a cict kind of environment i also want to tell my uh, countrymen and my friends that the indian army is trained to use maximum power indian army is trained to to deny the enemy any advantage when it comes to external aggression or trying to foment trouble within the heartland or within the borders of the country so they are trained to use maximum power they are trained to use maximum restraint also when dealing with uh, civilians but the fact is that unlike the civil uh, the police the civil police or the central armed police forces who are trained and uh, are over a period of time used to uh, operating in riot control or different kind of law and order situations the indian army does not operate in the manner that they don't fire in the air they open fire and when they open fire they fire for maximum effect they fire to shoot to kill is what the motto is and that is the primary task of the army to safeguard our borders when they shoot they shoot to kill 
now this is not to say that indian army should never be used against the uh, your own civilians it should never be used but if an area has been uh, disturbed if an area has been declared as ungovernable if the center or the state or the governor has imposed certain kind of uh, has ascertained that the law and order uh, of a particular region or area is not uh, appropriate or not under the control of the civil administration the local police or the central armed police forces which are deployed in the area only then the army is deployed and when the army is deployed it is governed by armed forces special powers act so i have a kind of a script uh, script which i'll now read out which gives the genesis of this armed forces special powers act it also gives out the tenets it also gives out where all it is applicable and it also shows a kind of way ahead so i now uh, read my script so for the past 6 decades the india army has been conducting ci and ct operations in different parts of the country including punjab jnk and in the northeast while operating in the civil area the forces encountered major complexities ranging from gruesome acts of violence carried out by militants or terrorists to unprecedented attacks by unruly and violent mobs in such circumstances the indian army has always been under tremendous pressure to not only safeguard the territorial integrity of the nation but also to abide by the duty to protect the human rights of the innocent civilian population or even in self defense afpa comes into effect only after the government decides or declares a state or part of it as disturbed in effect this means that in the disturbed area the normal functioning of the government has broken down and that is why the army whose primary role is to guard the country from external aggression is brought in to restore normalcy the act is in fact an enabler for the armed forces to act proactively within a legal framework and in a time bound manner against insurgents or terrorists in a disturbed area so if aspa is invoked it is dynamic it is for a time bound time bound manner and it is progressively reviewed increased repeated revoked or what or continued so that is what happens it is nothing the army doesn't invoke aspa the central government or the federation in consultation with the state or the state in on the advice of the other uh, state governing agencies invokes afpa armed forces assam and manipur special powers ordinance was promulgated by the president on 22nd may of 1958 under which some special powers were given to the members of the armed forces in disturbed areas in the state of assam and union territory of manipur what is the genesis the origins of the armed forces special powers act 1958 can be traced to the armed forces special powers act of 1948 the latter in turn was enacted to replace four ordinances the assam disturbed area special powers of the armed forces ordinance the east bengal disturbed area ordinance the united province disturbed area ordinance which was invoked by the central government to deal with internal security situation in the country in 1947 so the genesis 
dates back to 1947. Incidentally, the Armed Forces Special Powers Act of 1948 was repealed in 1957, only to be resurrected a year later in 1958. The Nagas, the contention of the context was the fast deteriorating internal security situation in unified Assam then. The Nagas who had inhabited the Naga hills of Assam and Manipur had opposed the merger of their area with that of India on the grounds that they were racially and socio-politically different and they were seeking an independence. They had even voted in favor of a referendum declaring independence in 1951 and raised the banner of revolt. They boycotted the first general elections in 1952 thereby demonstrating their non-acceptance of the Indian constitution and started committing violent acts against the Indian state. The Armed Forces Special Powers Act of 1958 was so-called because it was enforced in the Naga-inhabited areas of the state of Assam and the Union Territory of Manipur. This act is now popularly referred to as the Armed Forces Special Powers Act of 1958. As I have pointed out earlier, the preamble of the Act states that certain special powers are conferred upon the members of the armed forces in the disturbed areas of the state of Assam and the Union Territory of Manipur. Section 3 of the Act empowered the governor or the administrator of the state or the Union Territory to use the armed forces to aid the civil authorities. If he was of the opinion that the situation was disturbed, enough to demand such an action. He could do so by declaring the entire state of the Union territory or part of it as disturbed through a notification in the official get, uh, gazette. The most important amendment was brought about through Act 7 of 1972, which conferred the powers of declaring an area to be disturbed concurrently upon the center and state. So these amendments were undertaken in 1972. The special provisions of the Act confer the Act confers upon a commissioned officer, warrant officer, NCO, or any other person of equivalent rank in the armed forces the power to shoot, kill, and arrest without warrant any person he suspects, enter and search without warrant, or destroy any premises he believes are sheltering the rebels, the terrorists, or the insurgents. The Act stipulates that any person who is arrested should be handed over to the nearest police station within 24 hours of the person's arrest. The Act also provides immunity to the armed forces personnel against arrest or prosecution for anything done or alleged to have been done in the discharge of official duties except after obtaining the consent of the central government. So if you have to prosecute, if you have to lodge an FIR or if you have to arrest uh, armed forces personnel who during this act has committed uh, any of the above, then the consent of the central government is required. Presently the regions which are under ASPA are in Assam, it, is, it was there from November 90 and it was extended till 28 February 20. Two certain portions. Nagaland, it has been uh, there since 1958 and has recently been extended by another six months. Manipur, ASPA started in 1980, 
It has been removed from Imphal municipal area in August 2004, and it has been extended till it was extended till 1 December 21. Further notification is pending. In Arunachal Pradesh, Aspa is in three districts of uh, Tirup, Changla, Mahindarpur, and has been extended up to 31 March of 22. In Mizoram, it was removed in 1997. In Meghalaya, it was removed on 1st April 2011, and in Tripura, it was removed in 2015. Now, if you look at the current dynamics of insurgency in Northeast, the Northeast has been in turmoil since independence. An uneasy peace and development is taking place. However, the active insurgency in Northeast is currently restricted to a few pockets in Upper Assam, South Arunachal Pradesh. Nagaland and Manipur the states of Mizoram Meghalaya and Tripura have almost remained free from insurgency related violence the nature of insurgency also has metamorphosed towards consolidation of extortion space rather than being ideologically driven so now it is more a law and order issue where tax collection illegally illegal tax collection smuggling drugs racketeering arms smuggling human uh, smuggling this kind of activity is more pronounced so current times are seeing a shift in focus from security issues to socio political and socio economic dimensions at present a delicate uneasy peace prevails in the region certain groups are active in the northeast if you go by the numbers i would say ulfa Has about 182 to 200 strength. NSC and IM has about 4,000 to 4,500 cadres. NSC and K YA group has about 1,000 to 1,200. The PLA is about 600 to 700, and the UNLF is about 600 to 700. If you see the roots of the insurgency in Assam, it began with the protests and agitations of the All Assam Student Union against the illegal influx. Of Bangladeshi immigrants, a breakaway faction of the ASU formed the Ulfa in 1979 to create a sovereign socialist Assam. Currently, Ulfa has continued with the struggle with sovereignty as the prime motive. Apart from Ulfa and Bodo insurgents, the Dimasa group of North Kachar Hills continued to venture out and carry out kidnapping and extortion. The radical Islamist groups. are demanding security for the muslims in assam and infiltration of rohingyas is a matter of concern when we come to manipur the root of insurgency in the state dates back to 1964 with the creation of the united nations liberation front unlf the insurgents have been broadly divided into valley based insurgent groups and others comprising the nagas the kukis muslims and other represented minor tribes In the hill districts, the Kuki Naga clashes in the hill district of Manipur in the early 90s instigated the creation of several Kuki groups in the state. However, most of these groups are now under the SOO with the GOI, or they are under talks. Manipur continues to remain the most violent state, accounting for maximum grenade or ID blast in the region. The Central Government had extended the disturbed area status to all parts of the state except in Imphal municipal area till 30th November 
SF operations in 2020 have led to apprehensions of 259 carders and recovery of 92 weapons. And I am told that because uh, of the AFPA not being there in the Imphal region, most of the law and order issues and the hideouts of the terrorists or the insurgents are now in and around Imphal. Nagaland. The current situation in Nagaland is complex and uncertain, with each group tangentially pursuing their agendas. The NSC and IM is under ceasefire with the government of India and still remains the most dominant group in Nagaland. The group has signed a framework agreement with the government of India on 3rd August 15 and has emerged as the harbinger of a renewed peace process in Nagaland. The security situation in Nagaland remained peaceful during the year 2020. The expectation of an early peace process and uncertainty associated with it kept the violent activities subdued. I am sure COVID also had a role to play in this. There was substantial decrease that is 45% in insurgency related violence incidents during the year 2020. Similar differences over leadership in the NSC and KYA hierarchy resulted in expulsion and desertion by prominent indian origin naga cadres of the outfit all nscn factions continued with unabated extortion especially along the indo myanmar border and south arunachal pradesh in arunachal pradesh the insurgency is limited to three districts namely tirap changlang and longding which witnessed activities of ulfa i and nscn factions the aspa contribution in managing the northeast situation if you see look at what aspa has contributed since it was involved there is increasing stability the overall security situation in the northeast states have improved substantially since 2014 last 6 years have witnessed a significant decline in insurgency related incidents by almost 70% year 2020 has recorded the lowest insurgency related incidents and casualty among the civilians and sf in the last two decades the successes achieved by the security forces would not have been possible without the freedom provided by the af breaking of cohesion amongst the insurgent groups efforts of the government of india and the sf have been successful in breaking cohesion among the indian insurgent groups this has also helped in dissipation of combat strength of these individual groups thereby reducing their bartering power or negotiating power with the government surrenders the year 2021 has witnessed surrendered by all karbi insurgent troops in assam and prominent insurgency leaders of nsc and kya joining the peace process development work the presence of armed forces in various parts of the northeast region under aspa has helped to sustain various developmental projects and activities undertaken under the aegis of the central and the state government the increase in connectivity communication infrastructure in various parts of assam and meghalaya over the last few years stands testimony to the fact now let's talk of the reasons why the continued necessity of afpa in the north east is required you see we must understand the dynamic operational environment which is still manifesting in the northeast despite the successes enumerated earlier the situation in northeast still remains complex and is yet to stabilize 
the large quantity of armed and ammunition held with the number of groups operating in the northeast region remains an issue of concern. Majority of the groups in northeast region are involved in smuggling and other illegal activities and extortion networks which have entrenched their existence in the region. The porous borders with Myanmar and the ethnic similarities of either side of the border coupled with the volatile situation in Myanmar have also contributed towards consolidation of positions by various valley-based insurgency groups along the international Indian-Myanmar border, raising concern on their strengths in future. In view of the above, the situation in Northeast remains far from normal, necessitating deployment of Indian Army for management of the situation. There are certain operational imperatives also which the Indian Army has uh, to undertake if it has to remain deployed and uh, in the Northeast. One is int collection and surveillance. Int collection or intelligence collection is one of the most important steps for any successful counterinsurgency operation. Int collection is an intensive and complicated process which requires surveillance over several sources, which may include overground workers and civil supporters. This basic necessity for conduct of hard-hitting operations without collateral damage is only possible within the ambit of AFPA when you have got credible hard intelligence. Loss of surprise. Surprise is a very important element for successful CI operations. AFPA provides the necessary powers to ensure no loss of surprise for the armed forces who can launch operations without sharing it with the civil administration or with the police on hard intelligence because then with leakage of information, the loss of surprise will result in the operations not fructifying or not reaching a logical conclusion. Crowd control measures. CI ops are very delicate operations requiring tactical acumen of the highest order. Many a time in order to maintain surprise, and separate the insurgents from their support bases as also isolate them to avoid collateral damage requires extraordinary crowd control measures. These measures can only be implemented under the ambit of AFPA. Tactical initiatives. If AFPA is repealed or diluted, it is likely due to fear of prosecution, the performance of the security forces in CI of with the adverse, will be adversely affected and the terrorists or insurgents will seize the initiative. Without these powers, CEOs, commanding officers and young company commanders are likely to follow a wait and watch approach rather than actively pursuing hardcore terrorists with enthusiasm and risk being embroiled in long-drawn litigation, which may be based on false allegation or could be biased. So if you consider the armed forces as the final bastion, as the last resort which a state would go to to maintain law and order within your own state, within any particular region or maintain the sanctity of the borders, then there is definitely a need for continuation of AFPA. Certain human rights issues. Even the mere dilution of the act would have serious repercussions and could result in loss of morale and reluctance amongst the security forces to undertake operations fearing litigations, thereby leading to a slow tempo of operations. 
legal exploitation by insurgent troops a frail legal standing would embolden the insurgents or the terrorist organizations and the overground workers to level frivolous allegations resulting in the military leadership appearing more often in courts rather than in leading leading from the front in cios the local judiciary too is likely to be targeted by these insurgent and terrorist groups to make them pliant by force thereby posing an additional security burden moreover over a period of time judicial standards and rectitude could deteriorate leading to a loss of faith in the system as it is there is loss of faith in the system there is no law and order there is poor security things there are la- lack of amenities in that area only then it was declared out, uh, disturbed coupled with that if you remove afa from this disturbed area then the situation can deteriorate very rapidly also the necessity of the state or the federation it is often simplistically argued that the security forces need the act this is actually quite misleading since the state alone can under a constitutional statute declare an area as disturbed and decides upon the deployment of the central paramilitary or the armed forces so it is the state which decides they may take the advice or the inputs from the armed forces and other pillars of the society or the state machinery but finally it is the state which decides if the area has to remain under afpa or not so the army does its task when it is assigned or deployed in a particular area it is not some uh, uh, an organization which wants afpa to undertake a duty afpa is declared the area is disturbed and then the army gets deployed and then it facilitates the employment and deployment of the armed forces you see adam failures or administrative failures have time and again contributed to insurgency in the past once they have erupted the local functionaries and the police forces have proved inadequate in coping with them as a result the states are simply forced to turn to central paramilitary forces or the army for protection of life and property having undertaken concerted ci ops over time the affected states have simply failed to make capital out of the peace dividend which is been delivered by the security forces this has often resulted in their extended presence with no signs at all of return to normalcy so once a kind of a peace has been restored the state machinery has to kick in the civil administration has to kick in the local police has to be empowered so that they can give the requisite uh, security uh, to that particular region if it that if that doesn't happen the next step is not taken then the situation will remain and that slow burning kind of a, a status and the afpa will not be able to be repealed so it is a kind of a responsibility of the local administration of the state machinery also to work towards ensuring that such a conditions are manifesting themselves where there the area can no longer need not be uh, declared disturbed and the army can move back to their barracks for their basic task of guarding the borders consequently the security forces have a right to seek legal provisions to undertake operations for three fundamental reasons one a soldier unlike a policeman is not empowered by law to use force against your own civilians next while operating in far flung areas 
it is simply not possible to requisition the support of magistrates every now and then. Lastly, their employment is as an instrument of last resort when all other options have been exhausted. So if you are wanting to use them as that, then the requisite empowerment has to be given. What are certain more risks of dilution? The annulment of the Act or the AFPA as being debated by sections of the civil society could prove disastrous at the central and state government levels. Three issues merit attention. Firstly, it would dilute the capability and capacity of an important instrument of the state, the armed forces, to tackle the security challenges faced by the country. And we know it is not only the fault lines, which are neighbors on either side, the north or the western, to be more pronounced, are taking to manifest or increase, but it is also the security of the borders per se, which have to be ensured. Secondly, it would motivate the insurgent or the terrorist leadership, field guarders and their overground supporters to engage in reckless damage to public life and property. It may well result in a security situation which slides beyond redemption, necessitating major political compromises. And thirdly, the annulment of the law and the resultant lack of security cover would adversely affect the governance and development capability in the insurgent-affected states and the eventual redressal of the local grievances. There is also a need to fight certain negative kind of perceptions which, are, which get highlighted by whenever a kind of a negative incident which happened last month takes place. And there is a need to highlight a few issues. I was going through a kind of a debate uh, and someone said that AFPA empowers the armed forces to undertake operations with impunity. So it gives you immunity with impunity. Uh, let me tell you that when a Jawan goes out uh, on an operation, he, he, there is nothing known as in the, that he's been taught after that he's protected under AFPA. He's been told to protect or govern his area of responsibility, keep it free from negative incidents, keep the civilian population safe, and undertake operations within the ambit of the Hidayate, which he has been told, or the commandments or the standing operated procedures. He also has that trust of that officer or that non-commissioned officer or JCO who's uh, the leader of the uh, say the small team that if something goes wrong then that leader will at the cost of his own life protect him. So he, that kind of a trust, that kind of a faith in his leader, in his weapon, in the institution and his country is what matters. Aspa doesn't matter when a soldier or a jawan goes out for operation. The Indian Army has laid down strict rules of engagement while operating in CI environment. Many operations in Northeast region are generally carried out as joint operations with police reps being involved. Operations by the Indian Army are generally also launched on hard intelligence and due precautions are taken to ensure that no collateral damage is caused to normal civilians. 
Regarding firing on civilians, the army's instructions are that fire may be opened in towns and villages only in self-defense and that too when the source of terrorist or fire can be clearly identified. Detention of civilians. There are several allegations against the Indian army on illegal detentions of civilians for long periods under AFSA. The AFSA provisions are very clear. Within 24 hours, anyone who has been picked up has to be handed over to the local civil police and that is being scrupulously followed by everyone in the armed forces. Also, there is a kind of a perception that Section 6 of the AFSPA protects security forces persons from prosecution except with the prior sanction of the central government. This provision has led to even non-commissioned officers brazenly opening fire on crowds without having to justify their actions. I, made, I want to make it very clear that Indian Army is one organization which does a very transparent and with a lot of alacrity and speed any court of inquiry or any kind of investigation. If some, any of these kind of allegations of excesses or uh, wrongdoing are ascertained and there is record to say that the maximum number of people who have been, if there was any mistaken identity or judgmental error or this kind of willful uh, disobedience uh, of the orders which exist on the subject, they have been punished, they are in jail. So these are very handful of uh, kind of incidents, uh, but that doesn't mean that for a small one or two percent of these kind of incidents, the entire state or the armed forces, special power acts need to be repealed. What needs to be done is that it needs to be transparently investigated, it needs to be investigated with speed and all elements of the, uh, I would say the civil society, the state machinery and all should be uh, kept on board and the investigation should be totally impartial and the guilty must always be punished. As we look ahead, AFSA has become a symbol of, symbol of perceived oppression by the government or people of a region. However, I would say that it, can, it should be repealed with due caution, holistically looking at the entire picture and if the need is felt, it can be increased uh, incrementally, say for three months, for six months, for a year, and, but removing it because of one uh, negative incident would be, I would say, uh, very very uh, unfortunate and uh, should not should not be done in, in in a state of emotion because when it looks when you have to look at national interests then you have to see the entire bigger picture and then uh, decide on a particular uh, manner to go ahead so with that i think i will stop uh, my monologue and now open it up for questions so that uh, we can then discuss it further uh, but I will just end before I say again that gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is your armed forces. It is, we are here to protect each and every person of the nation, each and every instrument of the nation. And the effort is always there to do just that. And the Naam Nagman or the various other things which are uh, the bread and butter or which are the institutions or the uh, symbols of uh, what the armed forces is all about uh, are held in very high esteem. They are uh, 
the the things which keep the morale high which keep the motivation high and we uh, genuinely are saddened by these kind of unfortunate incidents but do remember like i told earlier that if these kind of mistakes due to mistaken identity or judgmental error happens the boy on ground had to decide he was 25 year old when the son of sharukh khan was i think just with some drugs he was found everyone said bachcha hai and and uh, pardon him but the fact is that here is a 25 year old almost the same age or younger than the son of sharukh khan and he is handling uh, the the i would say uh, the power and the responsibility and the accountability which is on his shoulders which includes the life of his own team and the integrity of the nation are at stake sometimes mistakes will happen but you have to take it that it is uh, not by intention it is not by commission it is because of some mistaken kind of identity thank you so um i was quickly reading up uh, before the talk uh, you know some articles on aspa um on the wire which ab- absolutely is infamous for completely leftist or even anti india content but there is this particular writer called jade lingdo um and just a visit to the twitter profile really tells the orientation of the of the gentleman the constitutional law honors a uh, student at uh, jodhpur university national law university jodhpur but he talks about one case called evfam versus union of india where some 1528 instances of extra judicial executions are these related to afspa i mean it talks about that in in this uh, in context of removal of afspa and i'll quote him as a result of this culture of impunity there have been numerous complaints of human rights violations which the citizens have brought to the attention of the courts one of these is the evv fam case um you know i don't know much about it and it doesn't detail anything out just makes an accusation so i wanted to bring that up and see if you have any inputs on that you see the armed forces uh, thank you for your question rahul the armed forces special powers act essentially is for the armed forces and i in my 37 years of uh, service have maybe i can count on my fingertips one or three two or three cases in j and k where uh, the indian army per se have been uh, accused of any extra judicial kind of a killing uh, so what uh, the gentleman must be uh, referring to is that what the police during its normal course of functioning has undertaken certain kind of activities in in that and i am sure that also must be uh, the guilty would be punished if there were any these kind of uh, extrajudicial killing however as far as the armed forces is concerned related to aspa there will be uh, in the last uh, say 60 70 years of its uh, being in place uh, there would be uh, you can count it on uh, the fingers of one hand you don't even require two hands where this kind of thing would happen and that is why uh, uh, the perception is that anything happening by anyone which be who wear the belt be it the police the paramilitary the central reserve uh, uh, armed police forces uh, they all uh, is considered that they are all protected by the aspa uh, 
behind all these letters, signatories, publications against AFPF. Now, once they have been identified, who do you think should really be taking actions against these people? Should it be left to the army? Should it be with the IB? Should it be with the RAW? How do you how do you look at it? Uh, thank you for your question, sir. Uh, my regards. Uh, definitely, it has nothing to do with the army. It has to be the, at the highest level, at the executive level or the legislative level, who will empower the uh, NIA, the IB, the RAW to see as to what is the source of this their funding. What is how they are getting how empowered by way of funding or by way of ideology or how these anti-national kind of sentiments are, are uh, getting ingrained in these kind of uh, I would say agencies and departments or individuals and definitely uh, as a democracy they are few to uh, free to voice their opinion they are free to uh, uh, across their point of view. But if there are anti-national elements who are involved in funding, sponsoring, or propagating them, then definitely uh, not the armed forces, but the IB, the NIA, the uh, I would say the ED, and the government has to get involved and find out their source of uh, this uh, funding and uh, other ideology. So we know how the system works and uh, we've all been in officers and we know how how far does it psychologically affect our young oh. officers who are actually on the ground or are or young captains and majors in RR who have to go out and uh, do the operations in the field. The fact that somebody might have a court of inquiry tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, there will be accusations flying around. How far does it really affect our psychology in so far as operations are concerned? We are unable to go forward with full confidence the way we would like to. We have seen, uh, what do you call that, many incidents like that where people have been hauled up for no fault of their own. So, uh, a very valid uh, question because we are all, we have been part of the armed forces community, we are now veterans. I have been adjutant of the Indian military camp. I understand as to what keeps a young officer motivated. But it is, uh, I, I need to assure you, sir, that uh, the colonels and above have a very bounden duty to convey the message to the rank and file, the majors and the pillows who actually lost the tactical operation. That come what may, I stand a rock, like a rock, if you have done nothing wrong. And I will put my career on the point uh, to safeguard your uh, interest, uh, your uh, honor and your well-being. So that kind of a messaging does go across. Sir. And definitely uh, having commanded an infantry battalion in CI of, you look into a uh, Jawan's eye and you ask him, Kya tum mere bhi apni dega? and if he says, yes, saha saab dunga. so that way it is not a one-way track. If he is willing to give his life for me, it is my duty to also ensure that he is protected, his family is protected, and he is looked after. I, I remember, sir, I was a young major in uh, RR uh, when uh, on, on a bridge, uh, this uh, patrol led by a Havalda was uh, sandwiched. On the left of the bridge was this uh, 
all the male population of three villages coming back uh, after doing their Friday prayer. And behind the bridge uh, were the women of those three villages who were following this patrol party uh, who had picked up two people on some information, two uh, 15, 16 year old on some kind of inputs and were taking them to the company operating place. Now, because this patrol got sandwiched on that bridge and the mob was wanting these two people to be released. Now, when the uh, patrol havildar or that leader refused to hand over, they started snatching their rifles. And when they attempted to snatch their rifles, uh, the uh, platoon or uh, the patrol leader uh, ordered the LMG group to open fire. And when they opened fire, uh, I'm not exaggerating, they opened fire in self-defense and about 18 people died in that fire. And uh, about 16 of them drowned by jumping into the fast-flowing river. So there was a total kind of, uh, kind of, uh, I would say, uh, this kind of thing which happened. But then the commanding officer, the commander, commander uh, was then General uh, Gangadhar uh, from the Marathas, who was later the MS also. They stood like a rock and they said, no one dare uh, snatch rifles of an Indian Army patrol. And so, of course, we adopted those three villages. Operational Sadhbhavna started because of uh, this kind of uh, unfortunate incident. But we need strong officers. The CEO was General Kulkarni, sir. Nothing, no harm came up to him. He became uh, a Lieutenant General and DG Infantry also later. So, this, I'm talking of 1997 in, in uh, Navapachi in Doda district, Doda Kishtuare. So, so, that kind of a uh, trust, that kind of a faith, that kind of a strong leadership uh, is required. And I am sure in the present generation also, this kind of uh, officer leadership is there. This kind of officer men relationship is there. That if you do something wrong and it was done in good faith, it was done as a judgmental letter, uh, error and not because of any malafide intention then we will hold your hand. And if there is a need to punish anyone, then the guilty will be punished. That kind of a thing uh, is there, sir, and is sustaining, and God willing, will remain an army. I have a follow-up question. This time an article from Lieutenant General H.S. Uh, Panang wanted your reaction on what he has to say. He writes in one of his print articles that over a period of time, the credibility of the military justice system to deal with human rights violations has become suspect. And then, of course, he goes on to make a rhetorical statement to compound the problem. New nationalist sentiments have defied the armed forces to virtual inaction with respect to human rights violations. There has been a marked tendency to cover up rogue actions and take shelter under the ASPA. What do you have to say to you know, a retired uh, army officer who is taking an, a completely contrarian uh, stand uh, Yes, sir. Uh, thank you for this question, Rahul. Uh, Chan Panak has been an army commander. He's been a Northern Army. He's been uh, my senior. Uh, he has his own point of view. Uh, but I will wish, wish to assure you that this is uh, one of the uh, other end of the spectrum, uh, one of the single kind of views of his. Uh, he's free to 
give whatever input he wishes to give. As long as he is not corroborating it with the hard facts, uh, these kind of statements uh, are, are, I would say, best avoided because it not, not only empowers uh, the anti-India forces, anti-national forces uh, to propagate and, and, and at our expense, but it also lowers the morale of the rank and file of the Indian armed forces. And I think definitely uh, there needs to be some kind of a soul searching uh, to avoid this kind of deliberating statements because uh, the Indian Army is one of the best uh, as far as discipline, human rights record or, or motivation is concerned. So uh, whatever uh, my senior has said, I will, uh, it is a point of view, but definitely it, it is not corroborated by facts or grounds. Again, a not-so-related question. We just had this huge, huge disaster of the Chief of Defence Staff, uh, Defence Officers, uh, Bipin Ravaji, and now the security breach with the uh, Prime Minister. Don't you think, well, that with the vehicles that we are using, like Prime Minister's was, was too glaringly obvious. He has a fortress, that Mercedes thing and the other armoured vehicle that he has in Delhi. Here he was in the front seat of a Toyota, unarmoured Toyota, and on a highway. So, don't you think there are too many FOPA have happened? I mean, this is not really related with the Indian Army, but it is the security of our national leaders. Anything you have to say about that? Uh, uh, thank you, Aparna, for bringing up this very sensitive issue. Totally unacceptable. This kind of security breach can and should have never happened. It was most vulnerable kind of a situation. He was sandwiched on a bridge. A drone could have done something. Any anti-social element uh, could have started stoning this. Anything could have happened. And definitely, uh, heads must roll. Uh, there has been total loss of, uh, I would say, uh, cooperation, integration. And I am told that there are certain elements of the state administration also who have not lived up to what the uh, blue book says or what the uh, actions which are required to be taken. It it, it is. Even a second lieutenant or a lieutenant would know that if a VIP movement is taking place, there is always a plan B. Then it is for the prime minister, it is not only plan B, it is plan C, D, E, and F. And if all that has to happen, then this kind of a argument that suddenly it was decided and suddenly this kind of thing happened, it totally, totally not accepted. Heads must go, whether it is of the state machinery, whether there are certain elements of ESPG who have not played their part properly or, or have conveyed but not ensured, all this must be properly investigated at the highest level and anything could have happened. Very, very grave situation should not happen. As far as the uh, loss of uh, the CDS, his wife and uh, the other uh, 13 brave uh, soldiers, including my very good friend, Brigadier Litter is concerned. You see, uh, the report has come, uh, the quote inquiry, I read it in the newspapers, though the uh, MOD statement or anything official has not been declared, but definitely uh, there has been some kind of an error, a judgmental letter, error, loss, loss of orientation, and as that, and it can happen anytime. It, it can happen, uh, it has happened earlier, we've lost a air chief uh, from in Pakistan has been lost to that. Uh, we have a basketball player uh, of uh, USA 
who was lost to this kind of a pilot error or loss of orientation. And when you, when the master pilot or the chief pilot, who was the commanding officer of that thing, uh, he loses, he gets disoriented. Uh, the other co-pilot has hardly any reaction time uh, to, to, to make amends. And they were so close to the mountain that uh, something happened in, the, in that, uh, I would say, 15 seconds and the uh, crash took place. So definitely, but you see the kind of uh, groundswell for love for the CDA, uh, which was evident right from Wellington to Delhi, all over India. This shows the love, love which uh, the uh, people of India have for the armed forces and their soldiers. And that is why I feel I, I have a lot of hope that uh, any these kind of uh, mistaken identities and these kind of, uh, I would say, negative incidents which have happened uh, in Nagaland or earlier also uh, will not will not uh, make us uh, lose the respect and love of our civilian uh, population or Indians. So I was a part of a teenager's discussion this morning. Uh, my son, who's now 20, 19, 20 years old, discussing that the kind of pride Indians, they're all Indian students studying abroad. So he said the kind of pride we have for our uh, armed forces, for the army and all, it is lacking here in Canada and USA. We don't see that kind of a thing. And then another pertinent uh, answer that was given was that because we in India are securing our own borders, these USA people, they go sit in Afghanistan and they go sit in Vietnam, who's going to have pride about in that. So totally unrelated, but yeah. One comment so, that I, I missed out on the second part. Definitely, what you are saying is that uh, in India, in, in India, uh, we don't join the army because of the pay and the kind of uh, perks and privileges it gives. Uh, we join the army because, uh, as a youngster, because we are enamored by the uniform. We, we we are enamored by the way of life. We are enamored by the adventure uh, opportunities which are there. We are enamored that. I, I, I can relate an incident that uh, when my wife uh, and me got engaged, uh, she went back to the college and she told uh, that uh, I got engaged and her friends asked her, uh, who's, what is he doing? He said, she said that he's a captain in the army. While there was another friend of her who was engaged to an IS uh, officer. and uh, But there was more uh, kind of, uh, I would say, uh, respect or, or, or that excitement because my wife was getting married to a captain in the army. So it is both ways, but it also gives you that added kind of a weight and responsibility that you can't let down the, the, the country which has bestowed so much of trust and faith on you. And that keeps us going. You see, I was commanding in Seattle and I know that what are the problems and uh, minus 40, minus 50, we are standing out and, and uh, protecting your borders. Uh, that is because of the love and affection and the, the kind of uh, faith he has in the country that tomorrow if something goes wrong, his family will be looked after, his, 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 his wife will uh, be looked after and the entire organization or the entire country will get together uh, to uh, safeguard their whatever interests are there. So that kind of a feeling uh, is nowhere in the entire world. Having been in Congo, having been in Iraq, having extensively traveled around the world, uh, this trait is not found. It is there in some portions 
in Pakistan also I saw. But there the problem is that there is a huge divide between the officers and the men. They, that, they don't relate to the officers the way the Indian Army men relate to the Indian officers. Because, and, and it is there in, in, for, for you to see the kind of casualties, ratios between men and officers of the Indian Army are impeccable, they are unmatchable. Nowhere else in the world, I would say, this kind of casualty ratio is, is maintained. So, so I would say that uh, all is well. Uh, the Indian Army uh, is going to be there to safeguard uh, the interests of the nation and uh, will try all their best to keep make the Indians proud of their arms. Thank you, sir. Ideally, I should be ending this, but I can't help myself. Ask that how in your white travels, any memorable anecdotes you have to share from your travels in Congo and and Siachen. Oh yes, oh yes. You see, I will just uh, tell you something about uh, an incident which uh, happened in my six months of command in the on the glacier. I lost. Uh, only one Javan uh, to an avalanche uh, like Hootsi and my tribute to him because of course he was and, and we all thought that uh, because Kumao regiment we play pray Kalika Mata that Kalika Mata ne apna ek humse ahuti le li, ek balidan le liya and you know what happened uh, this was a small post about uh, 13 men and uh, the cornice or the uh, the entire hill gave in on to these two tents which were there and all the uh, the 10 people they got into the butted under the avalanche and came down here and there were only three people who were left so these three people who were left they ran down or they slid down uh, with the dog there was a dog a local dog which was staying with them at about 20,000 feet and they started digging up these parts and all of them were uh, taken out but for one and which was uh, nice hoopsing whose body was retrieved after 20 minutes and he was dead by then. Now I couldn't get to send a helicopter to get the body back for three days because of bad weather. So they were staying uh, without only in one tent with the body buried outside in the snow and this dog this dog for three days did not enter the tent did not eat he sat over the dead body and as if he was guarding it or protecting it. So that is the kind of loyalty which a dog has shown. So this I would say, and he was the same dog who, if he would bury some chicken, live chicken, which frozen chicken to be cooked later, he would want to dig it out. But here was a body there and he did not budge in, did not eat, did not drink, did not move into the tent and stayed on that body. And that example, I keep giving them that everyone, each Jawan, if a dog can show so much of loyalty to the departed, it is a bounden duty in the army and in the country to give respect and honor the men who lay down their lives for protecting the nation. So I thought I will just share. I was trying to find this gentleman. I think he's a lawyer, Navroop Singh, if I'm not wrong. Uh, and he's been fighting for the armed forces, cases that the government of India, the Union of India has, keeps taking uh, soldiers to court, people, uh, soldiers who've lost, say, a limb in line of duty or something like that. And even for petty things like 
full pension you know the government of india seems to be taking soldiers to court or the other way round you know for soldiers to keep getting their pension due pension uh, could you shed light on this i know this is a topic for another time and you know maybe a more detailed topic on what is going on here because one keeps hearing gory stories from this this lawyer navroop singh if I'm, like i said i can't recall the name completely you have a comment there yeah navroop is uh, definitely doing a wonderful job he has the heart in the right place is you see uh, there are uh, certain kind of bureaucracy red tapeism certain kind of anomalies which creep up with each pay commission there are certain amount of uh, interpretation of rules and regulations which are not undertaken in the correct format there is qrop issue there are pay anomaly issues there are various other issues and because of that uh, uh, people like navroop are doing a wonderful job however i would say that bulk well, 99% of the people who joined the army did join it for pay parity or or same kind of a, a status or that kind of a thing which keeps uh, cropping up off and on that uh, we are uh, trusted officers but we are not class a and we don't get that kind of orip you know that we joined because we wanted to join the india however there are certain anomalies and uh, the government of india especially this present dispensation is much urgent of the needs and the requirement just requirements of the indian army and i am sure that there uh, hai but andher nahi hai and in democracy things take a little longer uh, but uh, definitely uh, everyone up the chain in the common machinery in within the armed forces are working towards uh, all these anomalies which are corrected the genuine aspirations and needs of these soldiers must be looked at and definitely work is on uh, it will happen in in due course definitely the group is also doing a wonderful job thank you sir who are listening in thank you for all your time